Hello, I'm Peter Baxter, Editor of Developmental Medicine and Child Neurology. It's a great privilege to introduce this podcast. In it, we will be discussing the review paper entitled A Systematic Review of Two Outcomes in Autism Spectrum Disorder, Epilepsy and Mortality, by Wolfenden, Sarkozy, Ridley, Corey and Williams, which is in the April issue of the journal. It will be discussed by Sue Wolfenden, who is Consultant Community Pediatrician at Sydney Children's Hospital Network, Sydney, in Australia, and by Professor Roberto Tuckman, who is a pediatric neurologist and director of the Autism and Neurodevelopmental Program at Miami Children's Hospital, Florida, USA. Please can we start with you, Sue, to discuss the paper. Thanks, Peter. Um, the aim of this uh, systematic review is to provide the most up-to-date and comprehensive evidence for people with autism spectrum disorder, their carers and clinicians in terms of the nine associated outcomes of epilepsy and mortality. Uh, we know that individual papers on these outcomes for people with autism spectrum disorder have reported higher rates and we felt that it was important to synthesise this information in as rigorous a way as possible. We therefore systematically searched the literature for longitudinal studies using an approach based on Cochrane review methodology that has been adapted for these types of studies. And we assessed the quality of included studies and undertook a meta-analysis, which basically means we were able to statistically pull the results of studies together. We identified 21 studies in total, 16 which measured the percentage of participants who had epilepsy at follow-up and five measuring mortality using standardised mortality ratio. For epilepsy, we essentially divided the studies into subgroups, which we felt were clinically meaningful, and these subgroups were those where the majority of the participants in the studies had an intellectual disability, which we defined as more than 70% of the participants in the study having an IQ of less than 70, versus the majority who did not. And then we further divided these subgroups according to the age of the participants that follow up to being under 12 and 12 and over. What we found was that for studies where the majority of participants did not have an intellectual disability and were essentially children aged under the age of 12 at follow up, the pool percentage of those participants with epilepsy across the studies was about 1.8%, although this figure did increase to 8.9% once we looked at the older age group who were 12 and over. And then when we looked at the majority who did have an intellectual disability, under the age of 12, the percentage of participants with epilepsy was 6.1%, but it increased to 23.7% for those who were 12 and over. Obviously, I'm quoting the pooled results, we have confidence intervals around these in the paper. So this tells us that there's an increase in the percentage of participants in study groups with epilepsy where you have a majority of subjects with um, intellectual disability and who are older at follow-up and obviously that those associations are important for this result. For mortality, we found that the overall pooled standardised mortality ratio was 2.8. This essentially means that the expected number of deaths for participants with autism spectrum disorder was two to three times higher than in the general population. Of note, this figure was around two for males, but actually much higher at 77.2 for females. And this obviously has really important health promotion and surveillance implications for clinicians when they're talking to families and for families in understanding long-term prognosis. My um, focus when I was reading this paper was in the fact that it highlighted two very important issues, obviously. One is the role of epilepsy and then the issue and the relationship with mortality. 
in looking at the study, it seemed that it was really looking at three very overlapping populations, those with intellectual disability, those with autism, and those with epilepsy. And in fact, in one way, this study has implication for all three of these populations and provides a very important platform for a discussion on this relationship between autism, intellectual disability, and epilepsy. So the study clearly highlights what several other studies have shown, which is that the highest rate of epilepsy is seen in children with autism and intellectual disability. However, it also suggests that this group is at higher risk for mortality. And it, it appears that that may, in fact, be related to the epilepsy itself, causing an increase in mortality in this group. The study also is discussing, in one way, the least studied children with autism that is, those with moderate to severe intellectual disabilities. So it makes it a very important review because this is a group of children in which we almost sometimes don't really discuss, and partly because we look at autism and almost try to separate it out from intellectual disability, when in fact intellectual disability in a majority of children with autism is an important uh, part of their phenotype. And in this group, epilepsy is much higher and, in fact, is where mortality as discussed in this paper, is more highly seen. There's also a highlight in the study is the fact that the older kids have an increased rate in epilepsy, suggesting that, in fact, epilepsy rates in this population of individuals with autism go up. And the questions, you know, that, that remain is, do they go up independent of intellectual disability? That is, is there something special about autism itself that puts you at higher risk for epilepsy? Or, in fact, is it the intellectual disability that has to be associated with the autism to give you these higher rates of epilepsy. So when this study looked at the rate of mortality, it seems that, in fact, it is in this group with epilepsy and intellectual disability that the highest mortality is seen. One of the important questions is how do we interpret this systematic review in the sense that it's taking different types of studies looking at different populations of children. And so one is left still with the question of how best to advise parents, if you will, because a child may have autism and his risk of having epilepsy may be related to his risk of intellectual disability, but it may depend on the type of epilepsy that he has that may then influence his level of mortality. So as I was interpreting this paper, I think that one of the important points that you know, needs to be made is that when we're dealing with a population of children with autism, it's a heterogeneous population, and as such, we need to be careful in defining the population that's being studied. I completely agree, and one of the nice things about systematic reviews is that it allows you to look at the quality of the studies, and it's a really important part. And what we found, particularly with the epilepsy data, is you really do need to interpret it not only with that sort of well, this is reflecting a heterogeneous clinical groups. Um, we don't really know the levels of intellectual disability of the children in each of the groups. But also they were mainly clinical samples. I think we only had a couple that had population-based samples. And that obviously limits their general applicability. There was also some issues with blinding, which is when the people who measure the outcomes are not aware of the initial status but again given an outcome such as epilepsy that may not be so important and we had about a third of the studies being retrospective were ideally like a prospective study. So I think you do have to be, I think it highlights 
the types of studies we need in the future, but the main issue is that we did find that the studies were just, as you described, just so heterogeneous in terms of how they measured intellectual disability, the limitations in how the data was reported in the papers. We'd hoped at the outset that we'd be able to look at predictors such as intellectual disability and be able to, if you like, come up with a model of how do you explain what this means for an individual child. But in the end, we really just had to stick with these clinical subgroups, if you like, that looked at majority with some sort of intellectual disability versus not and outcomes in terms of age of follow-up, if you like. And so this really limits how much you can say about the relationship at the moment of intellectual disability, autism and epilepsy and how much you can apply it to a, a single child. And, and I think what this has really identified to me is we need as a research group and as a group of clinicians and service providers and carers to sort of start at the beginning and say what we need are high quality population based prospective studies where intellectual disability is and other risk factors including the social determinants of health which will no doubt play a role is defined and measured from the outset as well as autism spectrum disorder so we can then go through over time and measure the onset of epilepsy so we have some good incidence figures and looking at its timing and its outcome and then also when we're looking at the really important issue of mortality look at which is the population who's more at risk and look at the causes of death as well for the mortality data having said that it was on a, it was all high quality data and it was all population based registers so that was much more useful and as you say we certainly found increased rates with moderate to severe intellectual disability um, and also uh, epilepsy and also being female. I think it's really tricky what you do in terms of talking to families about this data and as a clinician <laughs> during this study I have you know really struggled with this and I think all you can say is look this is a risk factor and it seems to be associated with intellectual disability um, and this is something that we really need to be aware of as the children get older and transition into adolescence and adulthood which brings in the whole issue of where children who are transitioning into adulthood actually go for services and it's important that parents be aware of the features of epilepsy, but you've got to counter that against causing enormous parental anxiety. And again, it's very difficult to know how you talk about the increased rate of mortality when you're diagnosing a child at the age of three. I think that may be more of a conversation you have in a child who's already had their first seizure in terms of just the importance of having a seizure management plan, having an emergency plan. I agree with you that epilepsy was related with increased mortality, but I think the other point is, you know, in 70% of the cases, and again, this data it was really just a list of causes of death rather than being able to really define it any further. In the other 70%, it was what we all die of, which, you know, such as cardiac disease, cancer, etc. And I think it's really important, again, just looking particularly in terms of the fact that obesity is higher in kids and adults with intellectual disability. It's really important in terms of just lifestyle and health promotion activities and not starting smoking, etc., etc., and looking after mental health as well. I think one thing that is interesting, and again, it's just an association, was, I mean, the, the increase in epilepsy, um, when you look at other systematic reviews that have looked at cross-sectional studies or at intellectual disability rates, it's not that different. But what was interesting is even in the older group of kids or adults who didn't have an intellectual disability in the majority of studies, there was a significantly higher percentage who also developed epilepsy than you'd expect in a general population. And that does bring into play, well, 
you know, we really don't understand this big heterogeneous mix that is autism spectrum disorder and what are the neurobiological processes that are in play. So I agree with that. And in fact, it does bring us back, if you will, full circle to the discussion of what, if anything, does this systematic review tell us independent of intellectual disability about other risk factors for the development of epilepsy? I think your point regarding mortality is well taken, although I do think that when you look at this review, mortality was associated with epilepsy and intellectual disability in almost 30% of the population, which is a Absolutely, significant yes. number. Um, so one question is, how could we you know, begin to systematically try to decipher intellectual disability from autism? But another just as important question is, do we need to do that? Have we not defined by this systematic review and by the studies that this systematic review has looked at the fact that this population of children who has autism and intellectual disability are at high risk for epilepsy and as such high risk for all the complications that go with that? Um, I think I think we do. I think we need to do more. I, I think this is very useful systematic review in terms of looking at outcomes, but you're very much just talking in general ballpark figures to families about groups. I think what we need are these large-scale population-based, hopefully through a register of studies, where we from the outset clearly define what level of intellectual disability a child would have. You know, we preferably have individual patient data where so we know what level of um, intellectual disability children have. We know about all the other risk factors that could contribute as well to increased mortality and epilepsy. We are able to do more predictor modelling, if you like, so we can say, well, for this particular group, this is more of a risk. We look at things like genotype and phenotype. So I do think we need much bigger, broader scales where we can actually look at predictors. I guess similar to when I think about comparable types of studies, such as oncology studies, where they have markers that then look at outcomes. I think that would be much more useful currently. This is great for sort of a general thought, but it's very hard to see how you can apply this to an individual child. That's exactly the point that I'm trying to get at. So it looks like if we were to review these populations, it would be important not only to look at, and I think your study highlights this, this, this review highlights this, which is it's not important only to start out with a population with autism, but in fact we should have a population with intellectual disability without autism. And we should also have a population of children with epilepsy who subsequently get diagnosed with autism so that, in fact, we can begin to really look at some of these factors. I think there's growing evidence that there are common variants that are associated with intellectual disability, with autism, and with epilepsy, Um, and potentially there may be some very important molecular factors that we need to tease out and molecular pathways that may really be important to identify to develop strategies to decrease morbidity and mortality in in individuals with autism and epilepsy. I I completely agree and concur. I mean, part of our criteria for this systematic review was that we had to be happy that diagnostic criteria had been used in defining autism spectrum disorder such as ICD or DSM. Having said that, I think it would be great if we had these prospective studies and I agree you need to look at the autism spectrum group from the beginning, epilepsy from the beginning, intellectual disability from the beginning, but also going, well, what is our gold standard in the diagnosis of these at the beginning? 
Because as we know, up until recently, a lot of children with intellectual disability were not diagnosed with their autism spectrum disorder. Sometimes it can be very difficult to tease out whether a child with autism spectrum disorder, and I presume intellectual disability as well, is actually having something like absence seizures without going through the process of giving them an EEG. Um, we know that things get missed in all these groups in relation to each other. And so I think we really also need to have a very clear out from the outset, what is the way we are going to measure this? What is our diagnostic process as well? What is the gold standard that we will be using? Agreed. And, and I think that sometimes we spend a lot of time trying to look at uh, saying that, is it autism or is it intellectual disability? That the fact is that sometimes it's very difficult to tell how much the autism has influenced the intellectual disability as well as the intellectual disability has influenced the autism diagnosis. And the important point, I think, again, of this systematic review is that when you have autism and intellectual disability, there is a higher risk of, of epilepsy and as such may put you at least in, as a group at higher risk for increased mortality. Yes, agree. I guess that one other question that I had is, do you think that the studies that have been done to date really can separate sex as a risk factor that is independent of intellectual disability, if you will, for the development of, of epilepsy? Uh, no, I, I could honestly say that we looked at sex and it was only reported in three of the epilepsy studies and interestingly in the female groups who have been shown in the mortality studies to be at higher risk of mortality, they actually had lower rates of epilepsy but again we don't have data such as the onset, I mean, at what age did these people are developing epilepsy so at the moment we don't have the data I don't think so obviously that's a really as it's been flagged as a risk factor it, it's a really and we know clinically that girls don't have autism as often as boys, but when they do, it tends to be more severe. It's often associated with intellectual disability. I think it's really important we tease that out. I think the other thing that's just come to me clinically that's important is the shift we've got in diagnostic process of autism spectrum disorder. I agree at the moment a lot of the children we see do have um, an intellectual disability as well as their autism spectrum disorder, but lately it'll be interesting to see how this changes with a new DSM-5 being applied, we've had a lot more children who don't have an intellectual disability being diagnosed with, if you like, higher-end autism spectrum disorders, the higher-functioning children, and what that does to the data as well. Right, and, and I think you pointed that out, actually, from the reviews in that even in the population of children with autism without intellectual disability, again, with all the caveats that we've put through mm -hmm. that these studies may not be able to do that, the rate of epilepsy was, let's say, 8%, and which is still eight times higher than you would expect in the general population. Uh, Absolutely, yeah, and I think that raises what, is there some independent neurobiological process? Having said that, I think the way we subgroup the data just in terms of the majority who do or do not have an intellectual disability, we haven't really got that really good high-quality data about intellectual disability even for that group that we need. And exactly. And when we look at it from the perspective of epilepsy, there's very few studies that have actually looked at the burden of autism in epilepsy, starting out with an epilepsy population. Uh, there has been a recent community sample study that was led by Ann Berg, um, done from her Connecticut cohort of children with uh, epilepsy. And in that, they found in the children who had an IQ greater than 80 and had epilepsy, approximately 2% of them had autism, which is 
again, twice as high as you would expect, even when we look at 1%. Um, and this was a population with an IQ greater than 80. Um, and in the population of children with epilepsy with more severe intellectual disability, the rates of autism were much higher, going as anywhere from 10% to 30%, depending on the subgroup of epilepsy patients that were being looked at within that population. And I think that this is something that's underappreciated, that again is highlighted through this systematic review, that in individuals with epilepsy, the burden of having autism may also be just as important as the burden of epilepsy in children with autism. I agree completely. Lastly, Susan, I guess that um, when we start to talk to parents about this, and I agreed with some of the earlier comments that you had in which you were saying that we have to be very individualized about this, but I would kind of like to get your opinion that, in fact, we're kind of getting this feel that we could look at the, the child who's having a significant intellectual disability with autism and who has intractable epilepsy and use the same kinds of information that is being given out to the epilepsy population in terms of mortality um, so that, in fact, you know, that in and of itself, uh, the preventive measures to decrease mortality that are used in epilepsy may be important to communicate in this group of individuals. Yeah, I completely agree, and obviously it would need to be modified for that group of individuals, and I think that is something that we as clinicians really do need to flag, particularly as particularly for the pediatricians as these, and child neurologists, as these children actually move out of our care and into adolescence and adulthood. In terms of, you know, yes, it's very important to make sure kids have early intervention. It's important we look at school placement. It's important we look at functioning, such as verbal ability, etc., but we do need to have this sort of question for all clinicians and also for parents of have you seen, this is, this is for the group who haven't got epilepsy, have you seen anything that looks like it's developed into epilepsy, being aware that this is a risk factor. And also just that discussion generally about safety and lifestyle. And then for the children who have epilepsy, making sure you know we have a clear seizure plan, a clear management plan. And I think it's a tricky conversation, but I think it's a conversation parents very much want to hear in terms of what that means in terms of increased mortality. I'm not sure it's a conversation you necessarily need to have at first diagnosis, but I think once you have a relationship established with families over a certain period of time, it's a really important conversation that needs to be had and absolutely one that needs to be had as they transition into adolescence and adulthood. I think you, that, that's a very, very important point and, again, highlighted through this review because I think this population, this older population of children with autism may, in fact, be at higher risk for epilepsy than I think we are really, that we have even have data for at the present time. Um, and as such, I think it, it's a, a very important point to highlight to our colleagues in adult neurology. It's a great. We've now come to the end of our podcast. Many thanks indeed to Sue Wolfenden and Roberto Tuchman. You've covered a huge range of really major issues. The article is going to be valuable both in giving authoritative advice on where we are now, but equally in working out how to address these unanswered research questions that you've been highlighting. And I hope everyone else listening will find this podcast as interesting as I've done. And just to remind our listeners... The article is entitled A Systematic Review of Two Outcomes in Autism Spectrum Disorder, Epilepsy and Mortality, 
It's by Wolfenden et al., and it's in the April issue of Developmental Medicine and Child Neurology. Thank you very much.